When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Underrated Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where we look at films that are underrated, underappreciated, and ones that have slipped under the radar. I am your host, Derek McDuff, and since this is a Valentine's Day special, I decided to bring on an actual real-life couple who are actual real-life podcasters um, who talk about romantic thrillers, so I thought they would be perfect to come on here. That would be of the podcast Couple Goals. We've got Allie Nelson. How's it going, Allie? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for coming on. And then her partner in crime, Tyler. How's it going? Great. Nice to be here. Uh, Really excited to talk about this weird movie. Yeah, glad to have you guys. You guys both work in the entertainment industry. Allie, I know you're an actor and a writer. Tyler, I know you're a writer uh, as well. You guys do a bunch of stuff. Before before we crack into it too much, you guys want to let the audience know a little bit about yourselves and about Not Couple Goals? Sure. Um, Not Couple Goals is our podcast. It's on the Pop Break Today network. If you've ever been to the Pop Break, it's a great entertainment site. They're covering all things pop culture. And as part of their podcast network, they have the Pop Break Today feed where you can find our show twice a month as well as a lot of other cool stuff. So if you just go and subscribe to The Pop Break Today, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us, as well as a lot of cool, nerdy podcasts with a lot of cool, nerdy people. That's right. And uh, as for myself, I'm, yeah, like you said, an actor. I'm also a TV producer, a TV casting director, mainly reality TV, true crime, that kind of stuff. So a lot of murder shows. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, I work at... a. NBC, covering all of their editorial websites, NBC Insider, Bravo, Sci-Fi Wire, USA Insider, all that stuff. So if it's happening on NBC, I've got these greasy little paws all over it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you guys on. Yeah, I've I've been on your guys' show uh, talking about another Tom Cruise movie. Yes. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. I've been on the pop break a couple times uh, talking about some Marvel stuff and, of course, with you guys recently. And yeah, so that leads into... This Tom Cruise movie, which is the 2010 film Night and Day, starring him and Cameron Diaz, the film, of course, directed by James Mangold, which is why uh, I was kind of interested in it. I remember when this came out back in theaters. I was actually just a college kid working at a movie theater at the time, and I remember it came out and seeing it and like looking like, I don't know about this one. Um, I was a little skeptical at the time, and I know that, you know, it didn't do terribly, but it didn't do well either, both with critics or financially. So I was really excited to dive into it and check it out. But before I get to, to my thoughts on the film, you guys are the ones who pitched me on it. <laughs> what what about this movie, you guys being the expert in romantic thrillers or romantic action movies, uh, whatever, however you want to classify this, what, what, uh, what drew, drew you guys to this one? 
Well, I was going to say before I let you tell, this is really Allie's movie because she watched this without me. Like it was one of those situations where she was watching it. I came in once in a while into the living room and was like, oh, this movie's happening, but didn't watch the full thing. And then when it was done, she was like, that was awesome. And then when it came time to pick a movie for this podcast, she was 100% like, we should do night and day. Oh, I, I have seen this movie a few times, like even the time that it wasn't my first time watching it when I was like, I, I watched it a long time before I w- even met Tyler, like because it came out, you know, years before. So I saw it around when it came out. I'm somebody like I'm I love movies. That's why I work in the entertainment industry, because I just love all kinds of movies. I love indie movies, classic movies horror movie. So a popcorn movie, I also love, like I do not discriminate. So it just needs to tickle me. And I thought this was a good one for the podcast because we had been talking sort of about how, you know, Tom Cruise really hasn't been doing that like capital A acting anymore. And I feel like this was like a good example of like the transition time where he was transitioning from where he was able to kind of do whatever he wanted. Then he did the weird couch jumping and creeped everybody out. And then I feel like this was sort of where a movie that really played that up well, where I oh, I think it was a really smart decision because audiences saw him on the couch, said, no, thank you. We're, you're creepy. And this movie really <laughs> works well for like, is he creepy? Like he, he spends a lot of the movie being like, is he insane? <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm not 100% sure Tom Cruise knew he was in a movie. I thought I think he thought this stuff was just happening. Uh but yeah, I hadn't seen it before watching it for this podcast. And I will say it's Ali, as always, you're very right. This movie uh is kind of underrated. Yeah, so what are you guys' overall thoughts on the film then? I I mean, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I think, you know, there is it a perfect movie? No, but uh like I don't love a lot of the the I don't love a damsel in distress that screams a lot and there's a lot of that with Cameron Diaz. But I'll say like I've always really enjoyed Tom Cruise as an action hero. I think he's so watchable and I have had a crush on Cameron Diaz since I was like 6 and The Mask came out. So Having them together in the movie, I was excited about that. And I really do enjoy movies that do things slightly different. So it's not it's not your typical spy movie. And I love the action sequences that really go with that, where he's kind of trying to like chat with Cameron Diaz and she's freaking out, but he's sort of like shooting people while being like, your dress is really nice. So I highly enjoy the movie. I think it's a really fun popcorn movie. Yeah, I agree in many ways. I'm a big fan of the general like spy genre movie, whether it's an, whether that bleeds into action or whether it's just a thriller spy stuff. I love it. Like one of the best gifts my wife ever got me was like a book of 101 spy tips, like really fun stuff. I love all that kind of stuff. So this movie, while being very watchable and very fun and the action sequences are really well executed, uh, with the exception of the bull motorcycle fight, (laughs) you know, it's really watchable, but there were moments that were just straight up frustrating of just like, Like, he told you to stay in the room. He told you to keep your head down. He told you not to get in a car. Just all of this stuff, she just keeps just barreling through the hurdles as opposed to vaulting them like like I kind of want to see from my spy thrillers. I want to see these creative cat and mouse stuff. I want to see the spy craft. And this is a movie that, like, really rejects all of that and forces its protagonist to just, like be handicapped in that way because he's got Cameron Diaz who just will not follow direction throughout the movie. So on the one hand that frustrates me, but on the other hand, it made it very fun, watchable. And I didn't know where this movie was headed at any given time. So I was, I was sort of being tugged in both those directions throughout watching it. 
Yeah, uh, and I I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit too. Um, I you know like you said, Ali, I don't think this is some kind of secret hidden masterpiece or anything. It's not like oh my gosh, this movie. But you know, it's a good time. It's it deserves more credit than I would give it in the past. This is not a movie I would have watched unless someone had pitched me for this show. I, I didn't even realize until looking into it that it was directed by James Mangold, who is definitely one of my favorite directors. You know. Um, 310 to Unima I had seen when this came out, but I didn't really make the connection. You know, then of course he would go on to direct Logan. And I think that he also made the Indiana Jones film this year, which I quite liked a lot. Um, so I think he's a very talented director, especially of the action genre. And yeah, the action comedy in this is really well done. And it's just this big budget action comedy with these two bankable stars that it feels like this movie probably came out about 10 or 15 years too late because <laughs> i was talking to somebody about cover i was like oh yeah i'm gonna record tonight and they were like oh what movie is like night and day I'm like oh isn't that a 90s movie i'm like no but it feels like one because yes. it, it, it right it definitely has that like here's this big star-studded movie with ali as you said like this kind of really comes in the midpoint of like tom cruise when he's transitioning from being that capital a actor to just being like action guy like guy who runs jumps and like breaks his foot, whatever, from being like the guy we would have seen 10 years before this in Eyes Wide Shut, where he's like doing some real emotion and, and like he's like imagining Cameron or uh, um, Michelle Pfeiffer Nicole or whatever, Kidman. like uh, Nicole Kidman. I always do that. Nicole Kidman. But in this, he's kind of right there in the middle. And it does play on the persona of Tom Cruise in a way that I don't think you really get to in something that he would release today. And, uh, I think that uh, it gives you the idea that even though, yeah, he is the main character in this, you are seeing it from Tom, or from uh, Cameron Diaz's point of view, it gives you enough reason to doubt him. Because most movies like this, you're like, okay, they're tell there's these people, the CIA telling you, he's, he's a rogue agent, he's crazy. And you're like, no, I know he's the main character, he's the good guy. But because Tom Cruise is so nuts, and he's so good at playing nuts, it, particularly in this movie, you're like, I don't know. Maybe they're telling the truth. Maybe maybe he actually is a rogue agent and he's nuts and I can't trust him. You understand why she has that like trepidation with him like when he tells her, hey, everyone's going to say I'm crazy. And then she kind of betrays him by being like, you know, he did say you guys were going to say he was crazy. And she starts to sort of realize that maybe he had a reason for, you know, the way that he was being. It's, I do think it's so funny, like, because it was just, I think he was throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what stuck, because, you know, audiences had been like, no thanks. And he was like, well, maybe I crazy now. And <laughs> I love, I love the, the fact that I think he does it really well. I read a review where somebody was like, everything that he says in this movie, it's not coming from within, like, you know, it just feels really superficial. And it, I think that that's very much on purpose because if he's being very sincere, then A, it's, I think it's a boring movie. It's just a guy who's, they're being gaslit by this a rogue agent who's trying to like uh, make him seem like the rogue agent. Instead, it's it gives you the doubt along with her. And I think it's a lot more fun that he like seems sort of w weird and creepy. <laughs> yeah, the whole movie... The whole movie feels like an attempt to take that sort of couch jumping persona that became somewhat synonymous with Tom Cruise a few years before this and be like, what if that guy's kind of cool? What if he's an action star? Like, what if all of that works? And like, I hate to admit it because there's a lot of like charged Scientology-ness behind it, but 
it kind of works on me. I like this protagonist who's, you know, flippant in the face of danger. It's giving me kind of like Deadpool. It's giving me like John McClane in some ways. It's giving me a lot of these like, you know, he's just completely unfazed by the danger that they're in. And that's kind of fun. And he's kind of like manic during it, too. Like he's distracted by her dress. He's like just walking past bullets so that he can kiss her. All of this stuff. It kind of it works. And I don't know if like another I think it would feel less sincere if you got another actor who wasn't Tom Cruise in here, because there is an element of like, yeah, Tom Cruise is really kind of like that. He's kind of a a wild card, baby. Yeah, you need an actor who is going to play this role completely straight and, like, not do, like, a wink-wink nod to the camera where it's like, I know this is kind of wild, where he's just like, no, like, you believe, like, it's like you said earlier, like, Tom Cruise might not think this is a movie. He might really (laughs) believe that this is all happening. And he, to his credit, don't like him so much as, like, a guy, but, like, he is a great actor, and he gets to do the two things that he's really good at in his early career, being a capital A actor, and his later career, just doing all these insane stunts. And there is some great, like we said, action in this. James Mangold is a very, very talented director, uh, a really good visual director. And, you know, you mentioned that Chase, there's some bad CG in that uh, running of the bulls scene, but there are some, like, cool motorcycle chases and things like that in this. And it's one of those movies where... I feel like you could classify this as a comedy. You could classify it as a straight up action. You could classify it in a number of different ways. It's kind of doing all these things. And I think it's striking a really good balance at being pretty good, if not great at all of them. Yeah. It's- I, I agree. I, I I don't even fault the bullfighting scene so much because I think, yeah, the bull was maybe not great CGI that was happening, but I did... I like that this movie kind of borders on camp. Yeah. It's 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 playing with so many tropes from all of these other action movies, other spy movies, and it does it in a level of like campiness that's so much fun. And the fact that he has this red motorcycle and he uses it to kind of like be like the matador waving like the the red cape at him to get the bull to come and like attack the people that were chasing them in the car. I thought that that was I've never seen that in a movie before. I think that it, because it's so campy, it ends up working for me. Oh, see, it was the opposite for me. I don't necessarily mind bad cgi in movies like i'm i get very like uh uh, forgiving i'm like hey they're trying hard but for me it was it was the sort of campiness of him doing like close quarters fighting in an alleyway on a red motorcycle i was just a little like okay this is getting cartoonish this is campy like like blade catching his sunglasses in blade 2 where it's just like it weirdly is just like a supernatural moment uh that feels out of place in this movie uh, that that was what did it for me. I was not super into that. The CGI, I'm like, yeah, fine. Whatever. It's a bull. See, I think what I liked about it was that the vibes of it, you know, I really like that we are kind of introduced to Tom Cruise through Cameron Diaz. We see him through her eyes. And it's something that Alfred Hitchcock talked about. It's like, we when we're watching these movies, we relate so much more to like, the protagonist in North by Northwest than we do James Bond. Because we're not James Bond. We are just, like, average people. And he just, through all these, like, mistaken identities and being in the wrong place at the wrong time and all this stuff, in North by Northwest, you've got Cary Grant just kind of gets sucked up into this crazy spy adventure in the same way that Cameron Diaz gets sucked up into this crazy spy adventure with all these Hitchcockian things of, like, stolen identities and 
knockout uh, knockout serum and and truth <laughs> serum and and uh, getting kidnapped by a drug lord and the CIA is coming for you and there's a secret device made by a creepy little guy played by Paul Dano. So it, it, I love all the kind of like little machinations in this. Yeah, it's like it's a fun romp and they do find their ways to really make it like this jet setting adventure and to really keep her in the fold without necessarily having it be like without turning her into like the protagonist from Indiana Jones too. Like they just keep drugging her in the moments where I feel like a lesser writer would have written the moment where she just has like a cute quote unquote cute confrontational thing where she's like, I was just happy living my life. But she's like <laughs> down for this adventure a hundred percent from the get go. It feels like. And I like the, the moment where she's been drugged and she, when she wakes up, he's hanging in like a torture scene and he's just talking to her normal as if he isn't hanging upside down, being tortured. And he's like, hey, it's going to be OK. We're going to get out of this. Like, I just I think those little touches of him be of of them having these like tropes from spy movies and then him being like so above it and still trying to like flirt with her. I think that that's really fun and charming. I love that. That scene reminded me of Thor Ragnarok where he's like hanging upside down and he has to he has to time his uh, speech with like when he's in the doorway. Another like hero flippant in danger moment that like that one really got me. I loved that. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the the jet setting montages and that's you know, that's one thing that I love about a spy movie is getting to go to all these exotic locales. Like they're in Spain. They're on this island, which, of course, blows up in a spectacular fashion. They're going here. They're going there, you know. And I love that that montage where she's kind of groggily waking up and Tom Cruise is just, you know, in his Tom Cruise crazy way talking to her. Because and you're seeing all these things. He's like, "Hey, we're about to get out of this. We're almost in the clear." And you're on the helicopter, and then she kind of shows that she's being like parachuted, and she just kind of like falls asleep for a second, and then she wakes back up. So you're just kind of like getting to through, you know, her perspective, shown the crazy progression of what she's going through, of like going from this place to this place and this place, and it it keys you in without doing too much that. Yeah, getting to this island was quite an ordeal, and Tom Cruise had to go through all this stuff without it feeling like, oh, like you mentioned, Allie, she's got to like, protest and do all this stuff. It can just give you a couple glimpses, and then I love at the end the way that that montage is inverted, and you kind of get the same thing from Tom Cruise, and she says all those lines back to him about, oh, like you, I'm trained, and I can, I don't think I could address you, like all that stuff. It's really smart screenwriting, I think. Yeah. I, I was I was upset because I did forget that he does undress her, which seems to happen twice. Like he undresses her and like puts her in the bikini and then she asks, asks to be knocked out. And then he clearly dresses her in something else for the train ride. I did forget about that. And I do think she forgives yes. it a little too easily. Like I do appreciate it. I appreciate that at the end, like it's like, well, I guess she saw like his junk too. So like it's even, but it was pretty creepy. It's like, dude, you didn't have to put her into a bikini. Like you could have just, I don't know, taking her pants off is creepy enough, but like you could have like done something to make her in, you know, less clothes, but not like actually change. Well, he had to only, yeah, she was like kissing him real quick after that. I was like, mm, he's, that's a little, that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, they do the, the lame, 
they do the it's lame violating. thing. Like she tries to fight him, but then she ends up like giggling and making out with him. I don't love that because yeah, he's he's got some explaining to do about how they got there, who he is, what why their lives are in danger. Like she's not fully certain in that moment where she's rolling around with him on the beach that she has not been kidnapped by a murderous villain. She's not sure enough about those facts. Yeah, she comes around real quick, and like, you know, like we were saying, we don't really know ourselves as the audience where this guy completely stands. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that's just like, oh man, like, okay, like, this is not, this is not aged super well. <laughs> I was torn a little bit about... Uh, I don't think we'd get that in a movie today. I agree. I was torn a little bit about the montage scene because I do, I hate in movies where like a character gets knocked out and then action happens without them. It's my biggest gripe with like all the Hunger Games books. Every chapter ends with her getting knocked out and begins with someone recapping the last like three days. Or like Moon Knight, that had a real issue with just like your character would go away and then action would unfold. But this, I think it really worked for me. Because I was torn between wanting to see the fun action movie and really enjoying the sort of ongoing gag, the campy gag of just they're in this night. Like she keeps waking up and they're in new like beats of a spy movie that I thought was really fun Um, without sacrifice. Like we do get a decent chunk of action in this movie. So it wasn't like we were missing out that much. But I do find it like funny, but also frustrating that. The logistics of what must have happened. He must have been carrying this very, this woman who's definitely taller than him for so, like, on that train, she's fully clothed in a winter outfit on on a train that has, like, waiters in white coats. People are going to ask if you're just carrying an unconscious woman, but he still made it work somehow. And that's funny to me. I was going to say, like, I think what is so great is if you would, it would have just been like any other action movie if we had those action scenes. But because they can use the the montage moments for comedic effect, like, it's funny to see how things keep getting worse and worse and they end up in worse situations. Like, it's like he's being tortured and now they're in a plane, but the plane's been shot and, like, it's crashing. And I love that you can, like, heighten things like that without actually having to, like, spend all of the time doing it. That's really funny to me for, like, beats. Right. It's like we know we we've all seen a, a helicopter crashing scene we've all seen the prisoner escapes the torture chamber scene so we don't need them to do it again so it's funny for like i think they chose wisely what they did off screen and on screen yeah because this isn't like extraction two or something where we need an intense long one-shot action scene or something like we can kind of fill in the gaps you know that that works in this kind of movie which you know like i was saying pretty well balances the comedy and the thriller and the action and the romance all in equal measure, I feel like. So it gives you enough of each that you don't ever feel like you're you're missing out on any one of them. And it does it all while maintaining this mystery of like, who is, is Tom Cruise a crazy person? He's definitely a good guy because he saved her life a few times, but is he just a lunatic? And you really, they really keep that going until like the third act. Like you really just plain don't know. I mean, and I also, I enjoy the, uh, the, the use of like certain tropes from movies where 
like when they were in the car, the first time that I saw it, I always, I do have a pet peeve of like when you have people in car scenes and it's clear that they would have been in an accident with like two minutes in because the person's just completely looking at the, the passenger. <laughs> and it's like, you got to look at the road, man. And I remember the first time seeing it, just thinking that was so funny the way that like he is looking at her so much, but they have him like turn back enough where you still think, oh, he's driving the car. And when they pull back that they're actually on a tow truck. I thought that was a really yeah, fun touch. I agree. Yeah, and, and there's enough kind of, uh, not cliches, but enough tropes in this from the spy genre that it's it works really well in that kind of different setting. And one of the ones that I think they do a really good job at handling is the MacGuffin, which is just this, <laughs> it's just like this random ridiculous thing that, you know, it's just like everybody's trying to get it. it they spend a little time explaining it, but you're just kind of like, it doesn't really matter. But I love that they kind of slowly turn this MacGuffin into this ticking time clock. And if you're like somebody who watches movies and pays attention to movies, it becomes that, once again, Hitchcockian thing of like, here's a bomb. When's it going to go off? And the way that they use it in the finale to blow up the, the main antagonist. I thought that was all set up really well and, and paid off really well. And it's, it's one of those things It's like, I don't really care about Paul Dano and that whole thing and this thing that he's made and how it's going to maybe change the world. But actually this thing he built kind of sucks. So it just blows up at the end. I thought that was a nice little, that was a nice little way to close that loop. Yeah. I didn't super love the climax, like the whole thing on the dock, like the fake out of who did he shoot? And he, it just didn't make sense to me. Like Tom Cruise takes the bullet for Paul Dano. Did the other guy, was he carrying a musket? Did he just have the one bullet? Like, why didn't he just keep firing until they were both dead, if that was his plan? And I just kind of wanted to see a bigger, like, action showdown between those two. But, like, at the same time, you know, how much of a, how much action do I want to see between Tom Cruise and what's his name? Peter uh, Sarsgaard. Yeah, who's, I mean, no, I mean, sure, maybe he's a nice guy, but, like, I just, I realized kind of watching it this time, like, he's not that great of an actor. He's somebody who pops up a lot. I'm always just like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> he's got... I actually enjoy yeah, okay. him. I, I... I usually feel like he he does a lot of work when I see him in movies. And I saw him do this like reading that was like him and Abigail Breslin and uh, Natalie Portman and um, uh, I can't remember her name, Kate Blanchett. Mm. And he out of like everybody other than Kate Blanchett, he put in like the most work out of anybody. Like it's, Natalie Portman was kind of just sitting there for a lot of the reading. And I remember thinking like, he likes acting. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I just don't like him in this role. Cause I, I, mean, I think I've liked him in the past and stuff like garden state and stuff. So maybe this just was for me, at least miscast. Well, speaking of actors, we either like, or don't like Ali's favorite. Mark Blucas is in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge Buffy fan and he plays one of the worst, like most hated characters on Buffy. He's um he's the ex-boyfriend, right? Yeah. Okay. He plays the 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 police or the fireman. fireman. Okay. I wanted to bring him up because I really I I not a huge Buffy fan, so I was not familiar with him. But I thought he was super charming in that rather small role, and I was like, oh, this guy's great. And when he first showed up, I thought he was because you just see so this guy in uniform show up like chicken on his ex, and at first I was like, I thought he was a cop, and I was like, fuck this guy. Uh, <laughs> but then I was like, oh. I was like, oh no, he's a fireman. He's cool, and I don't know. I just really liked his like little minor arc at the beginning where he gets shot in the leg and gets to be like this hero firefighter. I was just like, 
this guy's cool. Like, you know, I almost kind of wanted Cameron Diaz to be with him. And when Tom Cruise was like, I don't know if he's right for you. I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. But like the movie's clearly about your romance. So I'll let it slide. <laughs> I think he's perfectly cast as like the the guy who thinks he's a hero. And as like yeah. as an actor, if you give Mark Lucas like any more to carry in this than they did in this movie, he's going to drop the tray. But I think here he was actually like perfectly well utilized for a guy that, yeah, caught, caught a lot of flack in the uh, early 2000s for a bad role. Yeah, I was kind of like, good for you, guy. Like you got to work with like Cameron Diaz and Tom Cruise after being like a really hated character on Buffy. But one of the only things like I, this, this is not something I blame on him, but it was really I did not like the moment where he does come to see Cameron Diaz. And he's like, weren't you on that plane that crashed? And she's like, eh, what plane? What news? Like literally says that. And he's like, OK, moving on. And it's like what that's that was not an answer and he seems completely satisfied <laughs> he's a fireman not a detective yeah this is this is like a this is one of those movies you would see on like honestly like tbs or something like that you know what i yeah. mean where it's just like the plot yeah. doesn't really matter it's just kind of like a way to put these characters in situations where they're going to be able to jump through the air shooting two guns and and flirt a bunch you know and you know that's why like i said that's why it's not like a masterpiece or anything, but it's perfectly decent. It's perfectly watchable. It's a movie that you flip, you're like flipping channels. You see, Hey, night and day is on. I'll, I'll watch this for a little bit, you know, and then you end up and realize, Oh, I end up watching the whole thing. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, and I think that's like the mark of a good underrated movie. Like it's not going to win any awards. I'm not going to die on the Hill that it's a great movie, but there is something so watchable about this and the scenes that are boring are like seconds away from a cool action scene. The first scene, uh, like the first action scene on the plane when she's in the bathroom and he uh, takes everybody on the plane on basically and just kills them all. I thought that was fantastic. I really enjoyed the way that he had to navigate the the whole fight. And like at one point has like the seat belt that he's using like nunchucks. Yes. I thought all of that was really fun. He's, he's got the seatbelt. He's using him as nunchucks. He's having a great time doing it. And then he like gets a little overzealous and it gets stuck and he has to improvise. That's great stuff. I love that. I love an action hero who like can take a punch. Allie and I talk about the Fast and the Furious movies a lot because again, we, we love them, but they're trash and everyone's too heroic. Like no one's getting punched in the face or like having an oopsie with the seatbelt or anything like that. And those are the moments that make modern action scenes so much more memorable. Yeah. And and the filming of it was so great. Like when they pull back and you see it from outside the plane, I thought that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, like you know, if it wasn't for that, this would be a really great plane movie if it wasn't for, you know, like some plane, uh, plane peril in the middle of it. <laughs> but I, I do think you're onto something with talking about like comparing it to Fast and the Furious and about how, yeah, those are movies where these guys are just basically superheroes. And, you know, they even have like written under the contracts. They like can't lose a certain fight or they have to take a yep. like they have to have the same exact amount of punches landed and stuff like that and to tom cruise's credit and i think this continues to his action movies today and why people love the mission impossible film so much and why they're spoken of so highly is that he is always on the edge of fucking up like he's somebody who's like clearly he always plays these really competent characters but he is not a superhero he is not perfect and he will improvise and have to do things and like he'll mess up and have to be like oh no What's plan B? I got to quickly do this other thing. And you see a lot of that in this movie. You do. Yeah, I fully agree. 
And what's also fun about just watching Tom Cruise in general is that when you do see him do an action scene, you know that that is like most likely 100% him because he's one of those people that just loves to do his own stunts. So it it comes across too because you're not seeing all of these cuts to a stuntman and coming back. You're seeing Tom Cruise actually like fighting this guy. Yeah, and this comes out right between Mission, or like, there was a big gap, but between Mission Possibles 3 and 4, which is, that's really where the tone, I feel like, of Tom Cruise changed was in 3, you know, he's doing action stuff, but it's against a green screen. And in 4, you know, he's climbing up the tallest building in the world. Like, they're actually shooting it. So this feels like, once again, right, that transitionary period where he's going to be doing some stuff. Like, he's actually going to be like, yeah, like you said, you can tell that's probably him actually riding that motorcycle, going through all these things, doing all these action things. He seems like he's starting to push the boundaries quite a bit. And this movie maybe gets slept on a little bit for that, probably because it's not part of a huge franchise. It didn't set the world on fire. But I think that maybe, you know, this is this is one that gets slept on. And unlike a lot of movies that I've covered recently, which are these big swings, which really didn't work out, this one's more of, it's it's like a bunt. It's like, let's just try and do something perfectly serviceable. And I think they did. I love that, calling it a bunt. I, I'm going to rip that <laughs> off. I love that. Because it is, it's not, it's not, tr- it's, in many ways, it's just trying to be a pretty easy popcorn movie. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel. But at the same time, we've hit on these, like, subtle moments, too, where it is, this is a movie that's very aware of. And like using as traffic cones, other action movies, like it's, it's hitting all those beats. It's, it's blah, blah, blahing over ones like, oh, the helicopter crash. Like we talked about the torture scene, all of that. And it's trying to like turn them on their head a little bit. It's trying to do something different. He's getting the seatbelt stuck in the plane, uh, the plane fight because yeah, we've seen people fight on a plane before. So it's, it's Tom Cruise putting in the work, making it look good, but it's also like, this is a movie that's like, not not I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a full parody of action movies, but there's definitely like satirical parody moments of other action movies in this that it, it's I would call it, I guess, like an elevated bunt. <laughs> I don't know. Like they're 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 making some swings while yeah, maybe they're trying to go I for second know. base. Maybe that's the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to get a double. yes, exactly. I, my, my baseball terminology is failing <laughs> me uh, as quick as quickly as one would expect. But yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, no, but like, yeah, I think that this movie, like we were saying, it it kind of probably comes out a little bit too late. And all these things that it's trying to do, I'll just say you're not going to give the budget of this movie to a movie like this, even I think three years later. You're not going to be like, hey, we've got just these two stars. We're just going to make this movie. It's going to cost over $100 million. And it's not going to be really any huge idea or like based on anything it's just going to be kind of a generic movie you'll still get movies like that sometimes maybe on netflix or for like maybe a quarter of the cost of this but it just feels like yeah this was this was never gonna make its money back and it was maybe one of the first sign poles that this kind of age of movies which had been so dominant in the 90s was really at its at its end I would also say it kind of, for me, I remember when this came out, like I really enjoyed the movie. I thought this was like a really smart career career move for Tom Cruise, who always seems to be sort of calculating 
Uh, You know, he doesn't come off like a real person. He's always calculating like, well, what can I do to get people to see my movie? And I feel like he had so ruined his image. He took this one thinking I'll play into it. And when it didn't do well, I feel I thought at the time, like, oh, I think maybe he's done. Like that was like a last swing. And and people the reason I thought this movie, I still think this movie didn't do well because people were still so turned off by him. Then when Mission Impossible 4 came out and really re, like they changed how they were doing the Mission Impossible movies. They always kind of in the first three, they make him like a real character who has like wants and needs in a real life that he's trying to balance with four. They, they were like, he's not going to have like any personal life. He's just going to be the action guy and we're going to make it way more an ensemble. And I think if he had, if they hadn't been smart and done that, then maybe we wouldn't be hearing from Tom Cruise as much anymore. Yeah. He both, he both leads and is a supporting character in an ensemble movie in uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and beyond. It's like a really like fine line they yeah, walk. Yeah, he really kind of pivots away from this type of... This was like the final straw, I think, from the early Tom Cruise where you see the last remnants of it. And even in something like... in Because we talked about, you know, obviously, you know, this is a Valentine's Day episode. You guys are on a show that talks about, you know, romantic <laughs> movies. This is kind of, I think, the end of... Tom Cruise, famous for being a handsome guy as a romantic leading man. Like, you don't really get to see him in any movies that have a lot of romance after this. You know, even bringing up Mission Impossible again, Mission Impossible 3, he has a wife in that who he's trying to save. She very distinctly gets written out in Mission Impossible 4. And those movies have, like, hints of romance with, like, you know, various dark haired women, like, but it's never, <laughs> it's, it's never like, oh yeah, this is like his love there. He'll like kiss somebody, but it's always like, oh, well that was part of the deception, the part of the plan. And maybe we like each other a little, but he's not out there like kissing Cameron Diaz or being like, I have got to save her. Cause I love her. There's none of that stuff really in any post 2010s or post 2010 Tom Cruise movies. And I feel like that's a calculated thing. And I, I think it's part of it. It's just like the couch junking, jumping, Nicole Kidman, like celebrating yeah. after they got the divorce. And then even the Katie Holmes divorce after this, I think America was like, maybe we're, and I, maybe I guess there's a little bit of romance in, in Top Gun Maverick, but that plays a big backseat to the bromance of that movie. Even. Yes. Yeah. And I, th- I think you're onto something because even in this, I would say they are incredibly measured when it comes to Tom Cruise's character showing real attraction or affection for Cameron Diaz. You have that really, I think it's kind of a cool romantic scene where he just crosses the threshold of bullets so that he can kiss her and prove that he's excited she's there. But that's really all you get. He's casually flirting with her, but there's a deception to it, like on the plane. Um, And that's like that sort of thing. He's casually flirting with her, but he's always got bigger fish. He's always got to shoot someone. He's always got to fight someone. He's always got to jump out of a plane or something like that. And so he flirts with her. But I do think there is a calculated effort after Mission Impossible 3, after the jumping on the couch of it all, to not make Tom Cruise synonymous with romance because his real life romances were so public and so... Uh, you know, d- didn't end super well. <laughs> and I think you're you're onto something there where it's like, he's just action guy. He's not heartthrob romance guy. Well, I think the difference between him and somebody like Vin Diesel is that like 
Tom Cruise, I feel like, listens to the audience and is like, okay, you don't want me like that, so how do you want me? Like, I'll do it. Like, I'm down. And Vin Diesel's like, no, I know how you want me. And, like, (laughs) always puts himself out like, no, you guys want to see me as the action hero. You guys want to see me with, like, I'm 60 and I'm seducing 19-year-old girls (laughs) in, like, the new Triple X. Like, there's so much just ego there that's, like, not always going to be giving people what they want. Whereas I feel like Tom Cruise is like, he is calculated in that way. He's like, it's like almost like scientific where he's like, okay, that didn't work. So we cut that out. And now I'm just action guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You say he does, he's like measured because I'm looking at this and it's, it would be so easy to just draw a direct line from couch jumping war of the world's press tour to like this movie being like, okay, like maybe I'm a little bit of a crazy guy to mission impossible ghost protocol where he's more measured. He's just the action guy. He's not like a, he's not a crazy character. He's more of a methodical character, but for one outlier in his career. And that is Tropic Thunder comes out two years before this movie and two years after the weird couch jumping of it all, where everyone's unanimous opinion was like, Tom Cruise, man, he's, I didn't know he could do that kind of thing. And I'm, it's weird that he turned back to more Tom Cruise type characters at all. If he was that hungry for fame or worried that his career was on the outs. It's weird. We don't get more like Tom Cruise, the character actor. Yeah. That's such an interesting outlier. Cause it's one of those things where it's like, you might not even recognize that's Tom Cruise. Cause he's got like the big prosthetic arms and the bald cap and he's just, He's just doing such a character that I think it was just more like he was like, you know what? I'm going to have fun. I'm going to I'm I like these guys. They're they're funny guys. I'm just going to do this thing because it's it's not even like a Tom Cruise role. It's like something completely different. You know, it's almost like he's doing an SNL character. Yeah. And he's uh, doing a great job. Yeah. Like every he's such a standout in a movie that is wall to wall standouts. I also think that's part of why, like, people accepted it, though. Like, A, he's nowhere near one of the main characters. Like, he's not even in the main ensemble. So he just kind of comes in a few times. And people were like, well, you don't look like Tom Cruise. So they were like, eh, it's okay. We like that. That's funny. Like, you're doing something different. That's funny. Whereas if he had, at the same time, been like, well, let me do, like, a, you know, a a good romance, people would have been like, eh, no. (laughs) Well, we've talked. Go ahead, Tyler. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, there was a brief period there where we all would have been cool with Tom Cruise just being the weird uncle of Hollywood. Yeah, like it, there's there's a real sliding doors moment right around this time, to be yeah. honest. But then you also see like the the huge, immense failure of the 2018 mummy mm. that was trying to launch like the dark universe for Universal and how that he was so instrumental in the failure of that movie like he was making them he was like having too much control he was doing reshoots he was like having the script rewritten he was bringing in the people that he wanted to to rewrite things and he had so much control and then you watch that movie and it is an epic failure it is a horrible action movie like there's maybe one good scene and it's maybe the one in like uh zero g which they didn't need to actually film in zero g they wasted so much of the budget doing that and it's it's a horrible movie through and through and then it you know tanked horribly and like destroyed the whole hope of of launching that whole universal monster movie uh universe and that i think that also is showing us like where he is today where he's like oh so not every action movie i make is going to be gold but you love mission impossible so let me just keep doing mission impossibles you know what's present in that movie is the ego we've been talking about and i think that's that's the uh the 
the bridge too far when it comes to a Tom Cruise performance. Yeah, and I think he he's just kind of like at this point in his career found collaborators that he really trusts a lot, like people like Christopher mm. McQuarrie, and he's like, "All right, I'm just gonna like get these guys, these writers and directors, and in a lot of cases actors as well, who he knows, he works really well with." And they're just going to go and put something out there. And even if something doesn't hit as hard for me, like I think the last Mission Impossible movie was a little bit of a letdown. Maybe that's a little bit because of Barbenheimer. And I, I don't think it was Fallout was just so good that coming off the heels of that. I think every, I was a little disappointed. But even even with the one, yeah, even the ones that are like soft disappointments, they still hit. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I th- what I what I think is really fun about like the Mission Impossible movies as a franchise is that. You can see how whatever action movie that was like action movie style was really popular at that time. They're really like time capsules for that. Like you see it like with the first one, it was like very much a 90s one. Then you see like the cool guy, like early 2000s. And then, you know, you get like the the Philip Seymour Hoffman of it. And then you see like the way that like movies like Fast and Furious have influenced action movies. And with like, you know, Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, you can see them being like, oh, these have to be more about the traveling and like more gadgets and like races and things like that. Yeah. And I, I one thing I do miss about before they just all of them were directed by Christopher McQuarrie is that like the first five, I think, are all directed by different people. And yeah. it was really like a vehicle for like, we're going to tell the same story, but with com- in completely different way. We're going to have the, the same cat, like the same guy with a lot of the same supporting actors in a lot of these. It's going to be essentially the same plot of like, he has to go rogue. But in the first one, it's like a De Palma like psycho thriller with Dutch angles. And the second one, it's like a John Woo action movie with doves and jumping through the air shooting. T- and the third one's like a J.J. Abrams like thriller. And the fourth one's like a Brad Bird action movie. You yep. get all these different things. And it was like really cool to like watch the series through that an- lens. And just in general, we've kind of lost that, not with just Mission Impossible, with, with just this one flavor of Tom Cruise movies. Yeah. And it's, 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 I do agree. I agree too. And it's, uh, Look no further than the fact that now it's like an episodic two-parter is our most yeah. is where we're at with the most recent Mission Impossible. But it's also sort of what you were touching on before when it comes to not just Tom Cruise movies, but action movies in general. And to like circle it back to night and day, this sort of like medium tier, high budget action movie with no recognizable IP, just trying to launch new heroes, new characters, that kind of thing. Uh, those don't really get made with the likes of Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz these days. If you might get one of these and it's going straight to streaming. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't hit within like three hours or whatever, like Netflix's bean counters are going to take it off the homepage, bury it forever. And that, you know, and then that that's that. And it's probably not going to be good. Like when's the last time you watched red notice, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, I actually, I enjoyed that movie. Okay, wow. Wait, I which mean, one was I, I Red Notice? It's the same thing, so I guess I'll I'll give it to you there. Wait, which one was Gray Man and I which one was Red Notice? Which one was uh, Ryan Gosling? Gray Man, Gray, Gray Man was Ryan Gosling. Okay. Red Notice was uh, Ryan Reynolds in The Rock. Right, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But I would actually say, like, Ryan Gosling is kind of filling the the old action Tom Cruise hole now. Like, because he is having that, I don't remember what it's called, the, that's the Stuntman movie that's coming out oh, where, you know, it's, yeah, Universal Pictures exactly. original, just saying. 
Well, and he's, I mean, he's doing a great job of like bringing that charm and, and still the action hero quality where he's now kind of filling those shoes for me. Yeah. And, and that one, if I'm like, that does kind of feel like a throwback to this age of movie. Cause it is a, it's an action comedy romance movie. Cause you know, it's, it's very, or at least it's being marketed that way. Cause it's got all of those elements in spades. And I think like this one only kind of got made because it's, technically based on like an old tv show that no one remembers even though it's really has oh, nothing yeah. to do with it but like it feels like an original ip but it's not and i think that's how it snuck through what is an original ip you're right night and day isn't an original the fall guy the fall guy oh okay <laughs> i was gonna say wait stop everything <laughs> but yeah we've, we've talked a lot about tom cruise obviously but i think there's a lot of other really good acting in this obviously you know we have his co-lead in Cameron Diaz, who I think is doing some good stuff. Obviously, she being in multiple Charlie's Angels movies had experience in this kind of genre. But then we also mentioned, of course, Paul Dano. Um, we mentioned Peter Skarsgård. And then we haven't even talked about Viola Davis, who is so good in this. Like, I'm like, oh my she's God. just doing Amanda Waller, like before Amanda <laughs> Waller. Yes. You're just such an underutilized actress in this movie. Like to have somebody that's such a force like her and to give her such few scenes, I, it is disappointing in that way. But yeah, anytime she's in any movie, she just like, she does exactly what she needs to do. She gives a perfect performance. Yeah. And then I forgot to mention also Maggie Grace is in this who like, I don't really understand how her and Cameron Diaz are sisters. Cause they're like, I think I looked it up there like more than they're more than like 10 years apart, but I guess, you know, whatever they they could have had a, big gap between them their their dad could have waited or something i don't know yeah i'll buy it <laughs> i've i've seen larger age gaps that i'm supposed to buy yeah so what did you guys think of you know just the kind of i was gonna say supporting but just all the rest of the cast including cameron i i've always been a big fan of cameron diaz i don't do i think she's like the best actress of her generation like no i think that's obvious but do i think like there's a reason that she would always like lead these movies other than the fact that she is incredibly gorgeous like there is something very likable about her and i think this character could really suck if it wasn't played by cameron diaz like the i really like i said in at the beginning i don't love a heroine that's constantly ah oh my god ah it's one of the things i don't like about the original spider-man trilogy is that you got a lot mm. of just kirsten dunst she even complained about how much she had to just scream in the background and i think we get that so much throughout the first car scene when she has to be steering the car when the the dead the guy the driver's been shot she's screaming all the way through so many of the scenes but i do find her so charming like in the scene where she doesn't realize everybody is coming down the ropes behind her and she's just like playing with the gun being like bang, yeah. bang, bang. Kind of like how any of us would do if we were given a real gun and we'd never had one in our hands before. Uh, I do find those moments like with her, I think they're much more charming and more palatable. Whereas with a different actress, I would be like, oh my God, like, why are you useless? Yeah, I was, I was saying at the top, I was a little frustrated at how like useless she was but i do think there were moments in this movie where they hit a sweet spot of her she's not a damsel in distress but she's also not like a super spy and she's kind of just like an audience proxy her her moments of 
her moments of like, you know, uh, uh, we're not uh, sinking, we're crashing. Her moments <laughs> of like, I'm going to be like, I'm shooting people on the back of a motorcycle kind of thing. Those aren't good. But her moments where she's just like the audience being like, what the fuck is happening are great. Like, I love when she's when she keeps waking up. I love the whole bikini scene because she does have good questions. She is <laughs> like, how did I why did you drug me? How, where am I? How did I get in this bikini? And then she tries to run from him. Like, those are the moments where I'm like, yeah, that's that's who I want this character to be. But it was so short lived before she fully swung to like super, super spy from total damsel in distress. Yeah, she's got a real I think in all movies, but particularly in this one, she's got a real everyman quality where you do relate to her a lot. You were like, yeah, in the same way that with Cary Grant, you're like, if I was stuck in this crazy situation, how would I react? You know, and one of the moments that I loved is like after that, you know, uncomfortable bikini scene, she just starts swinging at Tom Cruise yeah. and, and like, and he's dodging everyone, but she keeps doing, she's like, she knows he's like a crazy super spy, but she's like, fuck this. I'm going to punch this dude. He deserves it. And you're like, yes, he does. And she mentioned she's a brown belt, right? So she's not without like, you know, you don't get to, you don't get to be a brown belt. And then like when the time comes where you have to fight for your life, like you don't, you don't take a swing. So I like yeah. that. I liked that I about her. And I appreciate that they're like, she's a brown belt, that they don't like just be like, she's a black belt. They don't like make, give her like this yes. ridiculous skill to just be like, oh yeah, she's a regular person, but she could do this one thing amazing. It's like, I could get a brown belt maybe, you know, I probably yeah. not, but maybe I th it's in the realm of possibility. <laughs> I'm not going to ever become a black belt, but if I tried for a few years, I could get the brown. I can at least like not look terrible when I'm fighting a master assassin. I think <laughs> those those that whole scene in the train car was handled really well because she's not doing well, but she's doing better than someone completely untrained. And it's like that's like a delicate balance to strike, I think, if you're a writer or a director. And I think this movie did that really well in a couple different spaces. I actually liked when when she's when she's swinging at him on the beach. I did like that. He's genuinely impressed by her. Like he's like kind of looking at her like, wow, like that's great. And then when he does get to the point of where he's holding her from behind, it's not one of those like things that you see in a lot of movies where it kind of like that's where it turns romantic. I like that he uses that moment to teach her how to get out of the hold because he actually has enough respect for her where he's like, I think she's capable. Yes. Chekhov's um, escaping from a hold. <laughs> that's, what I I was... <laughs> that's another situation where I'm like, this movie gets action movies because it's like, okay, it wasn't in the final fight where she uses that hold it's like two scenes later where she's like using that and then it's done they're done with that whole trope i loved that i i, I loved getting to that checkoff's point yeah and then just one more person i wanted to mention who's in this movie just for a brief time and i think this is one of my favorite ways i've ever seen this actor utilized is gal gadot because i'm like yes. when she's like leading a movie i'm just like oh, you're not the best but you like she as like this kind of mysterious femme fatale arms dealer who's like maybe flirting with Tom Cruise. I was like, that is the exact right way to use Gal Gadot, honestly. I completely agree. When she is leading, I think she is a very poor actress. Like she's obviously very beautiful, but she's not a good actress. There's some movies where everybody else has an American accent and she just inexplicably has her regular accent because she cannot do anything but her regular voice. So having her come in, you know, I remember when she was cast as Wonder Woman, I was like, wait, she was in this movie? So she she was kind of forgettable in that it's sort of like a, a, 
not a great role for anybody that you come in for this like five seconds, but I think that is why she is well utilized. You know, the fact that she's really beautiful and she seems like she could be like a femme fatale, like works really well. And she yeah. has to play femme fatale and also like put romantic interest because the whole reason Cameron Diaz is there is because she thinks that Tom Cruise is involved with someone. So she's trying to figure that out, which is a crazy thing to prioritize in the life or death situation that they're in. <laughs> but I dug it. Um, and I have a small confession about this scene. It was not until Gal Gadot spoke uh, that I realized she wasn't Femke Jansen in this movie. <laughs> it was dark. It was a dark scene. That's funny. That's it took me. It took me a second, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's clearly her." And then when yeah, as soon as she talks, you're like, "Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely her." Like you said, she she cannot. She cannot. She's like Sean Connery. Like there's only one accent she's ever gonna do. <laughs> yeah. But her just being, like, beautiful femme fatale who doesn't have to actually do anything, like, uh, fatal, I think is real—that's that's where she's in a good wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, well, guys, any any other thoughts that you wanted to to bring up here? I'm, I've run out of notes, but how about you guys? <laughs> I, I mean, I just—I really enjoy—I think, like, James Mangold makes movies, like, action sequences that— I feel like it comes from a place of where he's like, well, what would I want to watch? Mm. And that's part of why I think this is such a good popcorn movie because you just, you're never, you, you shouldn't put this on if you were looking like, ah, I really hope something challenges me today, like cerebrally. But if you just want something that's going to take you away and like help you like phase, get into this different world and just look, going to look really pretty. I think he does a great job with that. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think, when it like when it comes to underrated movies, this is this is definitely should be on your list. If for no other reason than in a, in a world that is saturated with action movies, and if you are a fan of the genre, you know you know all of this stuff. So to watch this movie and see that it does do some really unique things, it does zig where you expect it to zag a couple times, and like I'm at a point where, especially for something as broad strokes as the action genre. That's huge. That's huge. And all the rest of this movie, the parts that aren't like a super cool action sequence and stuff like that, it's very watchable. Your two leads are very charming. They have okay chemistry and everyone surrounding them is doing like giving it their all doing a great job. You won't see a movie quite like this anymore. And if the, this is going to be considered sort of last gasp of this medium tier action movie, I think really underrated installment i think it's worth it's worth people's time it's worth a revisit and maybe try to leave your uh your tom cruise context at the door yeah yeah that's that's a good way to put it and yeah i think ali like you said james mangold he's he's a guy who i think makes really great dad movies uh you know just like movies that you know your dad would be like all right let's watch this one today you know like he he takes you know obviously <laughs> two of his most famous films are these aging heroes, you know, these guys who've been playing roles for like 20, 40 years, whatever, and just putting them in their kind of last movie or, you know, Ford v. Ferrari. And I think this is another one that's a really good dad movie. Oh, yeah. My dad loves Ford v. Ferrari. He kept telling me, like, you need to watch it. It's the best. And I watched it and I was like, it was good. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, it's definitely like fully a dad movie. Yeah. But yeah, and it doesn't take place in World War II, but it's a dad movie. That's interesting. <laughs> dad movies can be in, in any you know they could be as long as they're like in the there's i feel like there's particular genres they could be war movies they can be um you know uh sports movie or they can be spy movies you know i think they all they all kind of work well i don't know about you guys but i learned yeah, something just, today 
It needs that like m- that man element of like, yes, this is cars, like man. Yes. Like Cameron Diaz is in this, but she loves building cars because she loved her dad, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yep. Yes. But yeah, one more question that I wanted to post you guys before we get out of here. You know, obviously you guys are experts in a sh- certain genre, in the romantic thriller genre, a genre That's which... very generous of you to say. <laughs> I think it's true, but a, a genre which has kind of fallen out of fashion a little bit. This is a movie that like we talked about would probably not get made today, that action comedy that doesn't get made today. Do you guys have any, and you could say, you know, romantic thrillers if you want, but do you have any genres that really don't exist anymore in t- movies that you really have a special soft spot for? Hmm. Ooh, that's a great that's a question. question. Like, we don't see a lot of, like, the traditional romantic thriller we're getting them occasionally like the we don't get a lot of like fatal attraction anymore like we did get the the mini series that came out tried to do something different but i do think instead of getting something like fatal attraction we much more often get the boy next door right right yeah the only other one i can really think of you know we talked a lot in this in the past hour about these kind of action movies that aren't franchises that aren't based on recognizable ip you don't get enough of those anymore i don't think i think john wick was maybe the last gasp of that and now that is like definitely a franchise movie it's got a spin-off available exclusively on peacock and like all other all these other things so i think that's definitely one the only other one that jumps to mind too would also be the more traditional slasher movie and i think that is an an occasion where there's not a lot else to say, but yeah, I think if you're, if you're venturing out to try to make a new slasher, that's why most of them, like the killers revealed in the end. I don't think there's many more of the like monsters, like a Jason Voorhees, a Michael Myers or anything like that. Yeah. A lot of the more recent slashers I feel like are ones where there's like some twist on it, like totally killer. Like it's like a slasher movie, but it's also a time travel movie, you know, stuff like that. And we've got, there's one that came out, I forget, but it's like, it's, it's a hundred percent from the killer's perspective. I'm interested in seeing that because that's something I don't like. It's, it's maybe the one thing I can think of that's never fully been done before, but yeah, there's not a lot else to say in that genre, but I, I want people to keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just throw out one genre too, that I, that I kind of miss a lot and I've brought it up before, but I really miss the epics, like historical epic films, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, and I, yeah. And I feel like unless like Apple, gives like Ridley Scott $200 million to make a movie that's going to like flop at the box office and people are going to see three months later. Those are just kind of gone. I agree. Cause I think too many of them just, there was, they didn't have anything interesting to say and then they failed miserably. Like, you know, what was it? Exodus or something. The, the one with Christian oh, Bale. Like I remember yeah, yeah. seeing God's, Exodus. God's, yeah. yeah. I, I, the only reason I saw that in theaters was because I, I got like a free pass to go see, and it had a talk back with Ridley Scott and Christian Bale and I think a couple of the other actors after. And I was like, oh, my God, if I get to be in a room like I sat in like the second row. So I didn't care about seeing the movie. I just wanted to be that close to like Ridley Scott and Christian Bale. <laughs> and I remember people people ask me how the movie was after. And I was like, eh, not, I, I would skip it. <laughs> That's I think, fair. I think part of the problem with that genre, too, is in a world of streaming, in a world of like, quote unquote, prestige TV, if I'm reaching into the history books for a story, like I can't think of a story that wouldn't better be served 
by a good mini series. You know what I mean? Cause there's yeah. a lot of the best ones are just, they're so rich. Like if you want to make a Hatfields and the McCoys movie, yeah, you can definitely do that. But if you're enough of a history nerd to want to see or make a Hatfields and the McCoys movie, you, you want, you want six episodes so you can get into all those little eccentricities that light up your brain so much. So I think people are creatives are me maybe being torn one way or the other in that regard. Yeah. Or you could just do what, uh, what uh, Kevin Costner is doing where he's like making one movie split into two parts released like three months apart or whatever it is. Oh, what's that? Yeah. What's that one? Oh, what is it called? Um, I, I... It's like the, it doesn't have a great title. It's something like the history of the old West. Oh, it's like a Western. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and I mean, like you, we do have Gal Godot saying that she's going to be doing this movie. I think with Patty Jenkins, uh, the Cleopatra movie and a lot of people don't want her to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. Like, that's... Eh. Okay, it's called Horizon, an American saga. So, um... Yeah. yeah sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds like what so we that need sounds right like now. A dad, sounds like a dad movie, though. Like, oh, Kevin Costner's doing it? Yeah, Costner, <laughs> he's, American saga. He is the... Like, it's like... You know, I said Mangold. I think Mangold, Clooney, and then more than either of them, Costner are, like, the goats of dad movies. Yeah, <laughs> I can't I can't believe Costner's doing like a wet like who's who's watching Yellowstone and its subsequent spinoffs and then going, what if more? <laughs> a lot of people. That's why I've got like eight. Spin-offs. Yeah, you know, you're right. There's a lot of dads out there. Yep. Yep. I mean, and yeah, this this kind of feels I've got like, one. You know, the last, yeah, we, yeah. This like feels like the last gasp for that that generation, you know? Yeah. Well, but you yeah. know, I like Westerns. Keep it going. There's a genre that I don't think yeah, has, has disappeared, but you know what? Keep them going. Yeah. And well, it's interesting because I think that honestly, like you, you do get these, I feel like nexus points of Westerns were so dominant in like the 30s through 50s and then they quickly went away. And then, you know, the last 10, 15 years were dominated by superhero movies, but that yep. had a really bad year in 2023. So we're like, and I like superhero movies and I like Westerns, but it's just like, are we at another like inflection point? Is there going to be something and, you know, like in the 90s, it was like all these star driven movies, you know, in the 70s, it was all these auteur director driven movies. Like, what is what are we going to be going into 2020, uh, the next half of the 2020s? What's going to dominate that? Is it going to be video well, game movies? Is it going to be something else? Well, speaking of James Mangold, you know, like I think let's let's merge what's been successful in the past few decades. Let's get more like Logan that are a superhero Western. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love a good genre mashup. That's like yep. my favorite thing is when you're taking these two genres that you wouldn't necessarily put together. And like, that's why I like Tetris more than most people. I think I was like, this is like a spy thriller about video games. I kind of love it. Yeah. And there's other, I used to be of the camp that there is no such thing as a good video game adaptation. And then The Last of Us came and just shattered that. So now that can't be a blanket statement anymore. So I'm curious to see what people try to do with them next. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. But yeah, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I, I really had a blast. Uh, you know, thank you for making this uh, this uh, Valentine's Day episode that much more special. But yeah, I know we mentioned the top, but why don't you guys let everybody know one more time where they can find you guys and hear you. That's right. You can find uh, us together on our podcast. It's not couple goals. It's on the Pop Break Network on the Pop Break Today feed. Comes out every other Thursday. 
Um, and you can find me personally on social media. I am at anal retentive, A-N-E-L-R-E-T-E-N-T-I-V-E. You can find me on threads and Instagram there. And then you can find me on TikTok and YouTube at like Willie Nelson, spelled like the singer, like Willie Nelson, um, where I put I, I put my comedy up there, like, you know, stand-up comedy, sometimes little sketches that I make, things like that. Uh, and you can find my writing on Parade.com, where I cover, like, celebrity news, entertainment news, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you can find me uh, on threads at Tyler McCarthy 328 And if you're interested in what I'm working on over at NBC, you know, like I mentioned at the top, I work on all of the brand editorial pages. So if you're a fan of The Voice, America's Got Talent, Found, The Irrational, all of this stuff on NBC, there's an editorial website dedicated to coverage of all of it. Same goes for USA Network. Same goes for Sci-Fi. Same goes for Bravo. Uh, I'm one of the people who just keeps those alive. And uh, yeah, I would absolutely love it if you checked them out because there's a lot of cool stuff going on over there. If you're reading something that doesn't have my byline, you're reading something with a really cool person's byline that I probably helped work on. So. Oh, and please check out our uh, episode, uh, Eyes Wide Shut episode of Not Couple Goals, where we had our special guest, Derek. Yeah, for real, one of my favorite ones we've done, maybe ever, but at, at the risk of alienating our other guests, I'll say in recent memory. <laughs> well, thank you yeah. so much, guys. That I, I honestly had a blast with. Obviously, you know, that's why I wanted to have you guys on, on my show as well, because I, I thought we had such a, a great discussion there, and we had to keep the Tom Cruise crazy vibes going. <laughs> yep. I swear we're not just exactly. Tom Cruise super fans. We do like other movies. <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you want to hear any more of my stuff, you know, there are some other podcast things that I do. Uh, you can find all my podcast stuff. Just look up Underrated Movie Podcast on any of the socials, you know, on YouTube, uh, all that stuff. I also have a Patreon, um, which is uh, has the um, my two other spinoff podcasts on there underdogs which every month covers a sports movie and then infrequently also um infinity stones and dragon bones whenever there's a new mcu property that is going to be living on the patreon as well just underrated or patreon.com slash underrated movie podcast to call it underrated disc two since it's got all the bonus features uh and then i do one more podcast as well with my friend damien that comes out on Mondays when this doesn't come out. So if you really like hearing me, you want to hear me once a week instead of once every other week, you can check out the Midnight Film Society uh, where I talk about kind of more recent things. Uh, recently, we did a episode on the best of 2023. By the time you guys are hearing this, uh, I'll have done my episode on most anticipated movies of 2024. So that's a lot of fun. Check all that stuff out. But make sure you first you check out Not Couple Goals and all the good things that these guys are doing. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Hey, yeah. we, we were in sync on that. <laughs> that's marriage right there, folks. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one more time. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, thank you to all you listeners. Ha- hope you're having a good one out there. And if you're single, better luck next year. <laughs> yeah.